0: Now time for chilling with Quillen on ESPN Central Texas. Yeah, it breaks out. You never know. Uh, midweek Chillin' with Quillen can be really good. In fall, we're more, uh, well, we stick by the book. We're kind of a Friday. We like to kind of get Curtis as he's heading out to whatever uh, high school game he's covering. And um, Curtis is Johnny on the spot with all these spring sports that are going on, baseball, softball. We usually, well, uh, Crawford softball. Curtis, we the ESP in Central Texas we get very involved with Crawford sports both football, softball we love that and then of course La Vega uh, Ward Whites our own Ward Whites was uh, on the road with La Vega for that state title so we we, uh, we tend to jump on a bandwagon and uh, boy those are those are fun schools and fun things but Curtis real quick I was going to tell you the Bears were playing in those big 12 championships and usually your alma mater, just rules those things. I don't think that was the case. I think OU finished extremely well, but the Bears today, after kind of a lackluster opening three days, um, one uh, Eisenhart goes out and shoots a two under 68, and then Drew Wrightson and shoots a one under 69 today. Um, and, and finish sixth at the Big 12 Conference Championship. Um, I just was curious, Curtis, as a Oklahoma State alum, and knowing that Oklahoma State has produced some of the greatest golfers in uh, in really PGA history, did you go out there and cover a lot of golf and and uh, get involved in some of that back in the day at uh, what'd y'all call that? Carston, what was the what was Karsten the Oklahoma? Creek. Yes. Creek.
1: Wow. That is, uh, that is where Mr. Pickens is, bur- is uh, buried as well. Um, And uh, I believe when it comes to golf, it's not Oklahoma State. It's just hashtag golf school, sir. Um, No, (laughs) we did some interviews, and we got some courtesy video from the athletic department. But back when I was in school, they didn't host anything in Stillwater at that course, I don't think, anyway. Um, The first time I actually went to that course, uh, the final year Matt Rule was in Waco. Um, I went with... uh, they have a really good breakfast menu on Sundays, and I have—I was happened to be in Stillwater for a wedding, and uh, Jessica Mori, my former colleague at, at KCEN, uh, she and I went there for breakfast one morning. Uh, that was the first time I'd been to Karsten Creek, and I was like, "Yeah, if I played this course, I might shoot a, a two over, a two over two hundred at least." <laughs>
0: Oh, I bet you had a pretty good swing. I've seen some of the golf shirts, some of the golf apparel that you pull out, and uh, it's not bad. You seem like a guy that would get your money's worth on a swing. Maybe not like the young Lively who has is, is really dedicated his life to golf. Um, and uh, and then our buddy Chris, you know, who, is, who has gone on to be in the Oklahoma City area. Uh, those guys love playing golf. You're too busy. You're too busy working to play that right. much golf. But, uh, yeah, uh, the uh, I'll tell you who won the individual, because it's usually an Oklahoma State player. It was not. It was Texas Tech's Ludwig Aberg. L- Ludwig a berg and he won the individual title in convincing fashion with a 15 under over 72 holes eight shots clear of second place jonas baumgartner um that's pretty amazing yeah
1: pretty good yeah that's, good. Yeah, that's uh, it's rare whenever it's not one of the oklahoma schools that wins it um and so you know you can make all the jokes that it's a down year for for the cowboys or for the cowgirls but uh, Big, the Big 12 golf tournament never disappoints. There's always some awesome storyline that comes out of it, and just a dominant effort from uh, from someone on the Texas Tech squad. And Tech has does not have a slouch of a golf team, No. By any stretch of the imagination. But for someone from Tech to come and be that dominant, uh, given the golf programs that are in the Big 12, uh, that's that's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, and uh, OU, by the way, won this thing with TCU coming in. Uh, second and they ended up winning by like 18 strokes uh the Sooners so they did kind of blow away the field as they were playing up there in Hutchinson all right um uh talking to uh, Curtis Quillen on the Matt Mosley show ESP in Central Texas and Curtis I, I wanted to get your take I haven't had a chance to talk to you since the spring game and of course I'm like you I've been they they somebody asked the question yesterday hey how are you guys going to let us know who the starting quarterback is I mean, I guess maybe, maybe one of the coaches will slip it to us, Curtis. I don't know. Uh, and I thought that was a fair question. And, and uh, what, did, uh, what did Dave say? He's like, I don't know. We'll have to talk about that. We'll have to have a meeting and, and discuss how we want to put that out. You don't, you don't normally hear the head coach being asked, like, in what format are they going to put this, uh, put this uh, news out there? I think you and I think it's probably going to be Blake Shapin. Having gotten to uh, see both of them, and watch their performance did did one of those guys jump out at you what was your what were your two or three biggest takeaways from the uh from the spring game starting with the quarterback position
1: starting with the quarterback position um i think at this point it's you know which one gets you further this season and i think that's pretty much something that only the coaching staff can decide uh i've seen i you know i think i could see them going either way and so if I'm Dave Aranda, you know, Shapin started a Big 12 championship game. Shapin has been the day one starter for a season. Sawyer Robertson has one year of college football under his belt and didn't really play a whole bunch in that season uh, out in Starkville. And so, I mean, he was young. He was a freshman. Like, it makes sense. And so I think that also weighs into it. I've seen some fans on social media calling for it to be Robertson or calling for it to be Shapin. Uh, And, you know, those guys are in practice daily. And so it's also a spring game. They're holding a lot back. So I think the spring game itself isn't going to weigh a whole lot in to to the decision uh, that they're going to make here. Uh, Jeff Grimes said as much uh, last week that, you know, in the spring game, it is televised. We do hold things back. Of a okay, we're going to use the full playbook uh, here to kind of see what we can do. And so, don't I, don't I don't put a whole lot of stock into the spring game on the uh, quarterback race specifically, but you know, I think Sawyer Robertson has a great command of the ball, um, and I think that the two of them feed off of each other fairly well. Um, and then I think that you know, Shapin comes in with the experience factor, and every single coach on the offensive side of the football that we spoke to during spring ball was impressed with Shapin and his development. And so how much of that is just, you know, sticking to the party line, how much of it is, is them being honest. I think the truth is somewhere yeah. in the middle there. Um, that, that said also, like you also have to consider the state of college football right now. What is going to wind up hurting you more in the long run? If you name Robertson, the starter now, you risked losing Shapin to the portal now. If you name Shapin the starter now, well, he and Robertson already have a rapport working together. That is entirely yeah. speculative on my part, but that's where my head goes is, okay, how much of this tur- turns into kind of, you know, what they do based on the portal and if that becomes a factor in in, mm-hmm. in this decision as well, um, the other takeaways. My goodness, Richard Reese, the man must live in the weight room. That was he's huge. I mean, he was a bowling ball as a true freshman, and he looked like a bit, you know, a little bit bigger than you'd expect most true freshmen to be. Um, but my goodness, he is. He's lived in the weight room since the season ended. I don't think words can describe how much bigger he's gotten, and he's only a true sophomore now. Uh, so I think he's—I I think there is an expectation for big things from him. Um, and then, you know, the, the third is that the defense seems to be a little more cohesive than it was a year ago. I don't know what the reason for that is. I don't know how much of that is how being the D.C. now. Uh, over Roberts from what we've gathered talking to some of the guys on the team, that is part of it is that, you know, Powell, uh, Powell relates a little bit better um, to some of the guys on the defensive side of the football. But the defense does look, to me, like it's a lot more cohesive uh, yeah. than it did, it, especially on the road last year in places like BYU, places like West Virginia, places like Texas, even and against teams like Oklahoma and, uh, and even Kansas State.
0: Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty interesting that what we've been hearing about Mike Smith, the uh, transfer from Liberty, we've heard a lot about Keytron Jackson, and Mike Smith was number 40 out there. I mean, these these transfer portal guys are not coming in here hat in hand like, hey, just tell us where we can fit in. They're they're like hey we might be the best player on on you know every like I'm not convinced that the kid from UNT couldn't uh, emerge as the next Ben Sims um, in the right. sense that uh, you know as a and again I love Dabney don't get me wrong I like the way he's built I've I've liked him for the last three years but I'm talking about like a Dalton Schultz type. What the Cowboys had in him was they needed a possession-type tight end. And it's not just because he has the same number. It's just because, like the other day, what were the quarterbacks going when it sounded like, okay, I'm in a little trouble here. They were looking for that tight end, and that Jake Roberts catches my attention. The other thing was, Curtis, they were calling those things sacks, when they, when the quarterback, the guy was like within five yards of the quarterback. They were called. They were so I, I didn't understand that. Like who was making those decisions? That the scoring system was a little bit strange, and I was glad whoever brought that up. Maybe Bryce after the game with the coaching staff. You know, it was almost an algebraic type uh, formula that they were coming up with. So that was interesting. Um, I thought uh, the other day I went out to the softball game after the spring game great crowd. You've called some softball games this year. Obviously the program has taken a major step forward, but it was a reminder of the greatness of OU. Not only just the program, like their coach, and just the DNA. I mean, like I thought earlier in the week when one of our players, one of Baylor's players, I think it was Anna Watson, said something about OU, I thought, oh, don't do that. Do not. That's not, that's not good. And they came in and did what you think OU would do. Now, the, the third game was very close, and the second game was really close until, <clears throat> you know, it was a rough play. It was a really the, – the left fielder tried to make a really nice play, and the ball just got away from her, and then obviously the home run came, and that game got away from them in a hurry there in about the fifth or sixth inning. Um, but but I, I think, Curtis, I, I, I think getting swept by OU – is not like the Rangers getting swept by the by by the Reds. It's um, right. it's not anything you gotta. You I mean you're, you you hate it, but at the same time you you can't look back. You gotta kind of move forward when you get beat by a juggernaut like that.
1: And, and you gotta remember, this is an OU team that our good friend John Morris pointed out has not lost a conference series in 12 years. So keep that in mind whenever you evaluate last weekend. Thirteen nothing. You go the distance in all three games. Yeah, it's frustrating. Uh, you, you know, OU flirted with the run rule in, in, in game one. But, you know, 13 nothing was the the cumul- or what do they call it in soccer, the aggregate score for the weekend. Um, that said, after the series, so Monday, I, I even ran this in my, in my sportscast. That like, before you get upset, like, oh, a great season, and we get swept by OU, we get swept by Oklahoma State. Baylor is still number 20 in the RPI after the OU series. So, you know, Monday evening, Baylor's number 20 in the RPI. What does that mean? It means they're still in the hunt to host a regional. Now, they need some help because there are two remaining series uh, at Iowa State this weekend, and then they're hosting, uh, or then they have that Texas series. Texas is the only one of those two teams. That is above them in the RPI, so they need some stuff to happen. Yeah, so they're going to be. a see seed in a regional, um, but I mean, given that this this team was team sixty five last year, and that, uh, and only sixty four get in, and right now you are twentieth in the RPI, you are you know locked into the NCAA tournament, and you are flirting with hosting a regional. It's a pretty sweet turnaround if you are Glenn Moore and company. Uh, no matter how frustrating those those series against the two Oklahoma schools are for you this season. You have every right, if you're a Baylor fan, and you see what this team has done all year, you have every right to be frustrated by those two series. But at the end of the day, the committee is going to look at a resume. And the resume includes those two series sweeps to the Oklahomas, but it also includes the win over Oklahoma in the Getterman Classic. And it includes uh, all of the tournament play. And it includes some really good wins, series wins over teams that are also looking uh, to, to make it into the NCAA tournament. I think if Baylor can sweep this weekend and can even move up in the RPI a little bit, take advantage of someone maybe losing.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's interesting to look at it that way. And um, and by the way, you talked about Coach Palage earlier. I noticed he was out talking to the Bumblebees today. Coach Mullins in Academy they were hosted him just a couple of hours ago. Saw a picture out there as the Baylor coaching staff makes its way across the state of Texas, and uh, that's what you got to do this time of year. You got to you got to strengthen and uh, and maintain those ties to the uh, the high school football coaches across the state. I imagine they'll even go say hello to the new university coach who came over from Midway. And uh, anyway, right, Curtis, I really wish you could hear this jazz ensemble out here. Uh, and by ensemble, there's a there's somebody on the guitar, and then there's a uh, there's a uh, uh, somebody on the sax. So it is a uh, it is a really it is a really nice little atmosphere here.
1: The only jazz ensemble I want to hear mostly is the one with you on trumpet.
0: <laughs> For some reason, they're encouraging all of us right now to leave. The premises. So we'll get to we'll get to the bottom of it. I hope everything's okay. I'm seeing them. I don't know. Hopefully we don't have something coming in here weather-wise or whatever. But uh, all right, we'll get word to everybody on that front. But uh, Curtis, appreciate you. Always great visiting with you. And uh, we will uh, we'll talk to you soon. Chill in with Quillin. Appreciate you, man.
1: Thank you, Matt. We'll talk to you later.
0: Curtis Quillin on the Matt Mosley Show, ESPN Central Texas.